Today we're going to talk about the new era. This will be the seventh installment on the new era. God is doing a new thing. Say, God is doing a new thing. And when God says that he's going to do a new thing, he doesn't mean I'm going to take the old thing and bring it back to you. He means I'm going to do something totally new that you haven't seen, that you haven't been a part of before. And, uh, and so he, he's releasing a new thing into the state of Florida. He's releasing a new thing in this nation. And what I want to bring to you this morning about our house here and about us becoming an apostolic hub is that our focus is not on a local church. That's not who we are. That's not who we are about. We are an apostolic hub that is called to impact the state of Florida with the gospel of the kingdom. That's why we exist. And so I'm going to read some portions of Cindy's prophetic word throughout this message. And I think it's very important in realizing what God wants to bring forth today in this new thing. But before I do, I know I need to pray. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you for your goodness and mercy. And Lord, I just say and decree that your Holy Spirit captivates the atmosphere in this place. That your spirit, God, begins to captivate it. And Lord, I pull us up out of the second heaven realm right now and into the third heaven realm in Jesus' name. Where we begin looking from the heavens down into the earth to see your plan and your purpose. God, I decree, Father, that we will begin seeing things the way that you see them. And God, that you will have your way in our life. You will have your way in this state, Lord, in Jesus' name. I cancel every assignment of the enemy and what you thought you were going to do, you're not able to do because the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus right now has defeated you and is defeating you. And Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you will prevail and give you praise for it in the name of Jesus. Prophetic words Cindy Jacobs gave on October 2nd, 2016. Part of it was here, and I don't know if they passed out the handouts. Thank you. She said, raise, he's, he's going to raise up something new. It will be so new wine that you don't know exactly what to call it. It will be so new and such a new thing, it's not like anything you can imagine. Not like anything that has been done before, says the Lord. So God is even bringing forth that new thing here. And it's going to be something you've never seen before. Now, something you've never seen or been a part of before, sometimes it's awkward as it begins to come forth and as it begins to come forward. It's kind of like a child when it's learning how to walk. It can be very awkward for that child. And sometimes it has to have the help of the parents as they're teaching the child how to walk, you know, and how to move around. But as that child begins to walk and as that child begins to build strength and as it grows, it gets stronger and stronger. And then pretty soon it comes into the function that God has created it for. In Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 19 in the Message Bible. This is what God says. The God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves. The God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lie down and then can't get up. They are snuffed out like so many candles. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. It's making a road through the desert and rivers in the badlands. Things I want to bring out here this morning as we move into this new era and watch God the do, th- new the do, do the new things is that you can't keep going over old history. Old history is going to bury you. And as long as the church wants to keep going back to something that it had, it's going to stay in a lockdown place where it can't function the way God has called it to function with strength and with excellence. It has to begin moving forward outside of the old history realm. 
Old history many times becomes like trauma or wounds within a person's life. As long as you rehearse them, those wounds become solidified. That trauma becomes solidified in your life as long as you keep rehearsing that. Sometimes people just rehearse it in their mind. Sometimes we rehearse it to one another. But as long as you keep rehearsing those wounds and that trauma, the enemy is going to hold you in bondage so you can't move into the new thing. I mentioned it last night. I'll mention it again this morning. Paul the Apostle, he talked about the third heaven. And if there's, three, if there's a third heaven, there's also got to be a number two and a number one. Otherwise, you couldn't have a third. I actually believe there are probably 12 heavens. But Paul talked about the third heaven. And when you're looking at the third heaven, it's up in the realm where the Holy Spirit angels are activated and moving. Many of God's people operate many times out of a second heaven or first or second heaven realm. First and second heaven realm is that realm where we're always struggling, where we're always pushing, where we're always competing, where we're always shoving with one another, trying to be the best here, trying to be the best there, trying to overcome. Come up here, Mike, just for a second, so I can give it, all of you a picture of what goes on in the third heavens. He didn't know I was going to do this, and... When I do stuff like this, I find it's better just to spring it on people. <laughs> now, you and I are going to have a wrestling match, okay? Just, come on, I need your help. Yeah, we're going to have a wrestling match. We're going we're gonna to push to and fro, and I'm better. Come on, who's better? I'm better. Come on, who's better? Oh, he's better. <laughs> But that's what we do in the second heaven realm. We're always contending with one another. And contending in a realm where we're never going to win. We're always frustrated whether he has the best ball head or whether I have the best ball head. <laughs> but that's all second heaven stuff. Thank you, sir. As a matter of fact, a lot of prophecy today comes out of the second heaven realm, realm where people are using the prophetic word. Not everybody's doing this, but a lot's coming out of that second heaven realm where they're trying to manipulate either an atmosphere or either people. And so if you look at Cindy's prophecy, and I think there's some out there, if you look at her prophecy, it's very third heaven realm. And it's very detailed. Prophetic words should be very detailed, not generic. Not just something that you heard yesterday. But something that is very detailed, very on point. And here Cindy is saying to us that he's going to do a new thing. And by the way, that prophetic word was given right here. So we have to quit going over old history. We have to cut soul ties that are unhealthy to us. If you've been ministering to the same person for the last five to ten years and they haven't changed, stop. Because they're not going to change. And all that is is a soul tie that you and that person have created that keeps you from moving forward. Go ahead and just walk away from that. And I know some of you are going to have a hard time with that, I can tell especially you mercy-motivated people. But go ahead and walk away from that because you're not changing anybody. Hello. Cut off those old, unhealthy soul ties. Get healed from your wounds. And any demons you have hanging around you, I call them, started calling them tag-alongs last night. Any tag-alongs you have running with you, start running them off in Jesus' name. They have no business in your life. He says in this word here in Isaiah 43, he said, be alert. Be alert. Say, be alert. Be alert. Be present. That's what that, look back up there in Isaiah 43. Be alert. Be present. Those two words there are very, very important. Sometimes you just need to show up. 
Sometimes you don't even need to say anything. You just need to show up. And I love what we're going to do tomorrow and Tuesday. Because I have found out that God just really shows up when I show up. And we have a team of 10. And of course, when other people show up as well, I'm not the only one. But I remember one time that I got up there and I had, I had shown up and I went to a news, uh, a news conference. They were doing out in front of Union Station. And uh, there was a certain female senator there back around 2005, somewhere along there, that was just really blasting the current president at that time. And so I'm walking. I've never been to a news conference. And the person standing here on the platform just like I am looking out. And over here, there's about 20 people all in a line. And there's two cameras, one Fox, one CNN. As I'm approaching this, I'm approaching it from behind the cameras. And I asked the Lord, I said, what do, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to stand between those two cameras. So I walked up there and I got between those two cameras and I did just like this, about as far as from me to the Palm Bay f folks there. And I just stood just like this. And all of a sudden, the Lord showed up because I was present. And this person that was doing the speech, the newscast, began to manifest demons and her eyes started going back and forth real quick motion back and forth how we're going to have so much fun <laughs> and her face turned beet red and she stormed off the platform because she just she knew she had lost it but sometimes you just need to be present you need to be watchful all the time be present be alert, which in Webster's Dictionary means to be watchful, vigilant, active in vigilance. Hence, it's a military phrase. Upon the alert, upon the watch, guarding against surprise or danger. It's what a watchman does. A watchman is a very alert, very attentive. One of the things we have to begin seeing that the church is, the body of Christ, is that it's not just a fellowship. We don't exist for fellowship only. Fellowship's good and we need fellowship. But we exist as salt and light in the earth. Placed here to make a difference by the Lord. Not just become passive and say, all I need is fellowship. One of our elders in our church several years ago, he... Uh, Paul Nile was his name. He had a dream one night, and in this dream, he was driving down the road, and his car began sputtering, and he was running out of fuel. And so he pulled into this gas station, and when he got into the gas station, there was no gas there. He walked inside, and there were a lot of people in there, and it looked just like a church. And he walked in there, he says, where can I get some power? I need some power for my car. They said, we don't have any power, but we have good coffee. Why don't you come on in and we'll serve you some coffee. He says, I don't need coffee right now. I need some power. So he hopped in his car and he heading back down the road. The car is spitting and sputtering. He's rocking it like this back and forth, trying to get fuel into the gas line and into the carburetor. And he, go, he sees another gas station slash church and he gets out and he doesn't see any He's, there's gas pumps there, but there's no fuel. He walks inside and he said, I need some power. They said, we don't have any power here, but we have good food. Why don't you just come on in and join us? We'll eat some food. He said, I really like food, but what I really need right now is power. So he hops back in his car. Third time he goes down, he finds a gas station slash church and he gets out and there's no power. There's gas pumps, but no power. So he walks inside and he says, I need some power. Can you help me get some power? They said, we don't have any power, but we have good fellowship. Come on in and fellowship with us. He said, I love fellowship, but what I need right now is power. And they said, we don't have any. And then all of a sudden, one man comes out of the crowd and walks up to him and says, come with me. I'll show you where you can get some power.
Today, the church has, should neglect those other things, but those other things are not going to give us the necessary that we have, that we need in order to overcome and in order to be, bring into this state and into this nation what God wants to do. It's a good word there. In Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7, I'm going to read it just a little bit differently. On your walls, O Florida, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Florida a praise in the earth. He has called this house to be a watchman house. Not to be a passive house, not to be a conscientious objector house. He's called us to be a house that is watchful, that is watching over this state, that is looking at things from the heavens down into the earth and saying, hey, as watchmen, this is what we need to do. This is how we need to act. This is what we need to do in Florida. This is what we need to do on the Space Coast. This is how we need to act. And that's totally different from where the local church has been because it's been in a passive state people just want to come together fellowship worship and I'm not opposed to that at all don't you think that I am but we need power and we need to do what Jesus told the disciples told 500 of them this see you hang out in the city of Jerusalem until you get that power and when that power came, two-thirds of them didn't hear it. They heard it, but they didn't hear it because only 120 showed up. But that 120 got the power, and they began to revolutionize that whole Middle East region in that day. What you and I may not realize is that the apostles and disciples of that day were literally transforming cities. Cities were being transformed by the power of God. Doesn't mean that the enemy wasn't showing up and giving them a hard time. He was. But cities were being taken over by the spirit and presence of God. Acts 17.6 says this, that those who have turned the world upside down have come to us also. <clears throat> Number three, something new, it's bursting out. There it is. God is laying out a plan and purpose for us today. It's brand new. It's bursting out. It's coming forward in Jesus' name. In Isaiah 42, verses 9 through 10, Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and those who dwell on them. So he says, the former things have become to pass. He says, but now I'm declaring something new. There's something new coming out of the Space Coast. There's something new coming out of Florida. There's something new coming out of this nation. And I, for one, want to be a part of the new. I don't want to be a part of the old wineskin. I wish I had brought it this morning. I had a lady, she gave Dutch and I two brand new handmade knives. They're very, very gorgeous. And um, you'd probably pay upwards to five or $600 for these knives a piece. Because handmade carved uh, handmade knives are not cheap. And <clears throat> I asked her, I said, why are you giving us these knives? She said, because I had a dream about you and Dutch. I said, oh, what was that about? She said, I saw you and Dutch with brand new knives and you were peeling back the old wineskin so that the new could come forward. She said, you were very gentle in how you peeled it back but your knife was very, very sharp. And she said, I'm presenting these two knives to you, to you two, because the Lord has called you to peel back the old wineskin so that the new can come forward. Now, I love that. 
So now let's look at the new thing. You're on the next page now. Let's look at the new thing that Cindy was prophesying about. The Lord says it will be a house of prayer, but it will be a miracle center. It'll be a training center. And the Lord says, yes, an apostolic center. And you need to have that anchor. You need to have your anchor place to develop your model, says the Lord. First of all, I didn't put this in here, but I want to start with anchor place. Because anchor place is very important. Anchor place becomes a base where the army is launched from. Or the military is launched from. That's where, what the anchor is. We are a military unit. We're not a hospital. Let me say this again. We are a military unit. We're not a hospital. You see, the church has been a hospital for years, but what is inside of a hospital? Thank you. Sick people are in a hospital. And if you wasn't sick when you got in there, you probably were before you got out. Because that's what they're made for. As a matter of fact, I had a lady in our church years ago that went into Winter Haven Hospital just feeling kind of yucky and three days later she went out horizontally she came in there vertically went out horizontally there was i don't know if it's still there but there was something over that hospital at the time we had another lady her name is pat elechnowitz is wendy's mother-in-law and she had heart problems she went into the hospital there at winter haven and all of a sudden, the doctor calls all the family together, and he says, your mom, your wife is not going to last three days. She's going. And when I heard this, I ran up to the hospital, and I was praying the whole way, and I got the word of the Lord on this. And I walked in there, and I called all the family together, and I wasn't sympathetic. I said, you have believed the wrong report. This doctor, what he's saying is a lie, and Pat is going to live and not die, and I need you to stand in the gap and make up the hedge because God is going to bring her forward. Three days after that, she's out of the hospital. Everybody thought that she would die first before John died, but she didn't. She's still living today. John died about five years ago, but Pat's still going on today. And sometimes you need to start believing a different report. Sometimes you need to begin believing the report of the Lord rather than the report of the enemy. You need to believe what God has said about this house here and about this apostolic hub and about the Space Coast and about Florida and about this nation. You need to believe that. You don't need to believe that America is going to hell in a handbasket. You need to believe that God is bringing revival to America, that he has a covenant with this land. He's looking for some people who will partner with him to stand in the gap and say, God, come into America. How when you and I go in there tomorrow, we're going to walk in more authority than any senator has in that place. She prophesied and said it would be a house of prayer. Isaiah 56, 7, New American Standard. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. And King James says all the nations. Same thing. Prayer is an important part of the life of a believer. If I asked how many intercessors we have here today, would you raise your hand? How many intercessors do we have? Okay, put your hand down. Thank you. How many people, how many of you here pray? Keep your hand up if you raise it up. Now, almost everybody, with the exception of few, didn't raise their hand on either one of them. Or when they said, and I said intercessor, they didn't raise their hand because they don't consider themselves an intercessor. However, nowhere in the Bible will you find where intercession is a gift. 
We've heard it taught many times. Peter Wagner used to teach it, that it was a gift. And I'm not opposing Peter. I'm just telling you that's not scriptural for it to be a gift. The Bible says that all men ought to pray. And prayer is an important part of my life. I cut my teeth on prayer. Right? When, I would just, when I got filled with the Holy Ghost back in 1976, I'd open the Bible and I would read the red and I would do whatever the red did. And when I read in there that the red went out to the wilderness to pray, I lived in the wilderness. Cheryl and I had a house we built in the wilderness, carved out the land by hand with a shovel and a chainsaw and an and a axe and a saw and built a home there. And so it was easy for me to slip off into the woods and stay four or five, six hours out there talking to the Lord. And I just thought that's what you did. I didn't know any better. I was from a little podunk town called Demopolis, Alabama. And, uh, but God was moving in that town. At that time, the Lord was moving all over the land. And you could find prayer meetings during that time at any house on any given day of the week. Bruce, you might remember this. Back in those charismatic days, you could find prayer meetings everywhere. They were all over the place. As a matter of fact, during that time, there were more prayer meetings in home than there was in the church facility. Because people were so hungry for God, and so I cut my teeth doing that. And it's easy for me to go off in prayer, and when, sometimes when people hear me or see me pray, they will think, he's got a gift. No, I don't. It's just something I developed over the years. God is calling this house to be a house of prayer because prayer unlocks the heavens over, our, over us, unlocks the heavens over regions, unlocks the heavens over state and nations. You and I are called to be a house of prayer. Here's what it has become many times, Matthew 21, verses 12 through 13. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. And overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called, what? A house of prayer. But you have made, are making it a robber's den. Or King James says, a den of thieves. And so he was saying, you've got all this stuff going on. I like, I like Jesus. Jesus is a very cool dude. Especially when you see him doing what he did here. He wasn't this precious, sweet Nice Jesus that you and I always think of him. He goes in there and he just starts saying, what are you doing here? He starts turning tables over, chairs over. He says, this is my house of prayer. But you've turned it into a place of buying and selling. Sweet, sweet Jesus. No, he went in there meaning business. He was turning that place into a house of prayer. But there's something that happened right after that. If you look under the miracle center, because Cindy prophesied this would be a miracle center. In Matthew 21, verse 14, this is just after he overturned the money changers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. You see, when we shift from being a merchant into being a prayer warrior, it brings miracles into the house. When we shift out of the third heavens, shift out of the second heavens, thank you. When we shift out of the second heaven and into the third heaven, miracles begin taking place. They don't take a place in the second heaven where the tug of war is going on, where everybody's trying to position themselves and volleying for position and trying to get political status and those kind of things in the church. It doesn't happen in that realm. It happens into the third heavens. And when we overturn the money changer tables in our own lives, then all of a sudden it becomes a house of prayer. This temple right here, and yours as well, was meant to be a house of prayer. I had one person prophesy to me several years ago, and they said to me, they said, you are a mobile house of prayer. Because we think a house of prayer just being in one place. When we went to KFC a few weeks ago, and back in, actually, a few months ago now, and we did a prayer strike at NASA 
We were a mobile house of prayer is what we were. We were taking house of prayer out there instead of making everybody come here. It had been nice to invite all of KFC to come here, but they probably wouldn't a few of them come. So we went out there and did a prayer strike there. It was a very powerful prayer strike too, by the way. See, we're, we're to be not only a prayer center, but a miracle center. And in Mark 16, 17, the Passion Translation, and these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. Now, I love that. That in his name, we drive out demons. Demons have no place when his name is start, begins to be spoken. They will speak with new tongues. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. And they will lay hands on the sick and heal them. I love this. Cheryl and I, the same year that we got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, we were, we were country folks, and we had gone one summer out to a place in Greensboro, Alabama, to pick peas and butter beans. We used to pick all this stuff. We would shell it and can it, and we would have food for, you know, the whole year. And our twin boys, they, they've never had a jar of baby food in their life because everything we fed them was organic and out of our own garden. And we, I've caught fish, I killed deer and rabbit and squirrel, and that, we had a lot of that. And we ate hamburger meat too, but hamburger meat comes second after what I just mentioned. What I just mentioned is far superior to hamburger meat. Yeah, squirrel. And, uh, but we had gone out picking these peas and beans, and Cheryl's granddad had this lady that he had raised from the time that she was a teenager and she was mentally retarded and this is back in the early 1900s when he began raising her or maybe the 1920s somewhere along there she was mentally retarded her parents did not want her and so he began raising her he built a house out back for her to live in and uh, and as she grew up she began living back there and whenever we were doing stuff like that we would just always go by and get her so I went by and got her and brought her with us and so we're out there we just ha have just finished picking the peas and beans we're up at the place purchasing them and <clears throat> this lady she goes into Cheryl's mom's car and grabs what she thinks is a jug of water and she pours our daughter Amanda who at that time was um, I think three pours her a glass full of what she thought was water. But it wasn't water. It was paint thinner. And Amanda, you know how when you drink something, if you just kind of hold your breath and chuggle it down, especially if you're taking some kind of yucky medicine, you, you don't want to taste it. That's the way Amanda was doing this. And all of a sudden, she dropped the gra a glass and she started going. She couldn't get her breath. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with her? And so I picked her up and I shook her like this. And when I shook her, the paint thinner fumes came out of her mouth. And I started sticking my finger down her throat. I realized what had happened. I started pumping her stomach. Nothing would happen. And then I remembered this scripture. That if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. And I took her and I set her in my lap. She had started turning blue. And I said, Lord, I don't know what she's drank, but Father, you said if any deadly thing, if we drink any deadly thing, it will not harm us. And I command this deadly thing to leave my daughter right now. And immediately she went. <gasps> See, they don't teach you that in a local church. You have to think apostolically. I'm going to say that again. And let me get back to the story. You have to think apostolically. In the New Testament, everything had apostolic DNA in it. It didn't have pastoral DNA in it. It had apostolic DNA. But what happened over the years is that we lost sight of the apostles. And so that apostolic DNA left the church. And all we were left with was a pastoral DNA. And I'm not opposed to pastors. But their whole purpose 
is to keep people healthy spiritually. Not to keep them sick. Not to keep them in counseling for years. Get them healthy. Get them on the front line. But what happened within the church is that we began existing just to be healthy. And see, an army doesn't exist to be healthy. An army exists to take ground and possess land. When you look at one of the prototypes in the Old Testament, you'll see Joshua taking the children of Israel into Canaan land to do what? Possess the land. What was going to happen in that land? God was going to give them rest after they had beat the enemy off of it. And so this is kind of where we are today. Now getting back to Amanda, once she caught her breath, we hopped in the car and the nearest hospital is in our hometown about 35 miles away. And so we hop in the car. I'm speeding down the road. I glance back there every once in a while. And this little three-year-old girl, she's playing on the back seat. You can still smell the paint thinner fumes. But she's playing back there. She's not back there. Ah, I'm not going to make it. And so we drove all the way into our hometown, and when we get to the traffic light there where we either decide to turn left to go to our house or stay straight to go to the hospital, she's having so much fun in the back seat, I tell Cheryl, I don't think we need a hospital. And then we drove home. We lived in a mobile home at the time. We, were, um, we had purchased our land but still had a trailer on it before we built our house, and Amanda steps up into the trailer there in mobile home and as soon as she puts her foot inside she throws up all that paint thinner on the floor one of the best things I've ever seen happen in my life <laughs> was to see that but see this is how we need to begin thinking we need to begin thinking like a miracle center Pam said something a while ago in her prayer and Cheryl said to me did you hear that I said yeah, but tell me again. She said, we're not in a holding pattern. You remember saying that? I didn't think you did. You were kind of out there in the third heaven land. <laughs> we're not in a holding land pattern. And see, God has not called the church to be in a holding pattern. I used to fly airplanes. I know what holding patterns are. And they'll put you in a holding pattern if there's some reason that you can't land on that field. Sometimes when you go into big airports, traffic has delayed. They'll put people in holding patterns. A few months ago, Cheryl and I were coming back from somewhere, and they put us in a holding pattern in Orlando because there was an electrical storm on the field. But we stayed in the holding pattern too long, so we had to be diverted to Tampa to get fuel, to get power. Because we had been in the holding pattern too long. See, the church gets into a holding pattern, and they start losing power. We need to begin thinking like a miracle center. In the second paragraph of the prophetic word, she prophesied, I just see miracles, miracles, miracles. But not only that, here's another portion of the new thing, that it's a training center or equipping and we need to begin thinking of as a training center, as an equipping center. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 12, the, the Passion Translation. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles, and some with grace to be prophets, and some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the body, uh, all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. As they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. Here it is in the New American Standard. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, in my thinking, God wants you in the work of the ministry. That's where he wants you. He wants you doing the stuff. And one of my portions, one of Pastor Kendall's portions, one of uh, Pastor uh, Bryant and Pam's portion, Pastor um, Alicia's portion, is to equip you for the work of the ministry. 
not just have you come here Sunday after Sunday. I want to empower you to do what God has called you to do in your community where you live. I want to empower you for your family. I want to come alongside of you and tell you, you can do this. God's going to empower you to do this. You can be what he's called you to be. And that's what an equipping center is all about. It's not just about coming Sunday after Sunday and being preached to. All that, that's a part of the, the most important thing that will happen for you today is when you walk out of here and you're empowered to do the work of the ministry where you are, where God has placed you. I could go on and talk about that portion a little bit longer, but I don't have time. It's called to be an apostolic center in Acts 13. Now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, meaning Paul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Several things I love about this apostolic model here that we see. One is, is that they were ministering to the Lord and they were fasting. Their focus was not horizontal, their focus was vertical. And for us to be an apostolic center, an apostolic hub, your focus has to continue to be vertical, not horizontal. Because I, I believe this, I believe that the more vertical you are, that when you come out among people, you're going to have the power to touch their lives. The more horizontal you are, the more you're going to have the power to be like them. So you want to go vertical, say go vertical. Another thing I like about this right here is that the Holy Spirit begins saying to them, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Lord was given assignments. I fully believe that when Chuck and Dutch are coming, come here October 18th, and by the way, if you haven't registered and you want to register, you can see Pam right after the service. If you're online, you can register online as well. I fully believe that we're going to receive assignments. Some of you are going to get new assignments. Some of you are going to begin to get re-energized in the assignment that you have been called to. New assignments are coming. And this is what happens in an apostolic center. It's all about assignments. And then Holy Spirit says, separate me, Barnabas, Saul, the work I've called them to. Another thing I like about that is that it never tells you who gave the word. As if though nobody was volleying for a political position to say that, Lucius gave that word, or, or um, uh, Simeon gave that word. Nobody was volleying for that position. It wasn't about who gave it, it was about what was said. And what was empowered there. Another thing I like about the apostolic center model here is that they sent them. Apostolos in the Greek. They sent them out by the Holy Spirit. Before we leave here today, we're going to have you come around, Hal and I, to send us out to Washington, D.C. The purpose of having a training center, an apostolic center, is what Jesus said in Matthew 10, verses 1 through 5. It says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority. Say, gave them authority. Amen. Gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are, and you go through the names, and it says these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. That's the purpose of an apostolic center. That's the purpose of the new thing that God is doing in the earth today is to equip people to send them out. I fully believe this with all of my heart, that in this last day's harvest that we're going to be moving into, several things I want to share with you. And if you haven't watched uh, the video on, that I did over in Largo on the Christian Television Network, watch it because it's all about the prodigals. It's an hour interview that they interviewed me about the prodigals. 
And I believe right now that the prodigals are weeping. And I believe that just as Jesus was first sent to the lost sheep of Israel, I believe in this movement that we're moving into now that God is going to go after the prodigals first because he's going to need them. Another thing I believe about this movement that we're moving into and we're getting into is that we need you. There's going to be such a harvest that's going to take place that one man in a pulpit will not be able to disciple all the people that will be coming into the kingdom. It will be totally impossible to disciple them. It'll be totally impossible to try to get them all in this facility and have days of the week where everybody's discipling them. We're going to need you to go to their home. We're going to need them to come to your home and begin discipling them. Begin to equip them. Begin to build them up. This is why I believe that the Lord is equipping you right now so that you can do the work of the ministry in the field that God has called you to. If it's business, He wants to equip you in business. Now, I'm not in business, so I would be the poorest one to equip you for a move of God in the business realm. So I would bring in somebody, if I was going to equip you, I'd bring in somebody that could help you in that business realm, bring God into that place. Same thing in government. When I go to government, I release the word of the Lord. I don't try to tell them how to do it. I went down to Fort Lauderdale last Wednesday and Thursday, was able to meet with Rick Scott for about five minutes because I fully believe that the Lord has given him the Senate seat here in Florida. Purpose of training is for you to do the work of the ministry. Says in Ephesians 4:12, for the equipping, catartizo of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. What does that word equipping mean to you? Somebody tell me real quickly. Talk to me. I speak up. Get everything you need. That's that's a good one. Come back up here, Mike. I need your help again. But don't be so rough on me this time, man. Equipping is the Greek word katartizo, and it means to put something in its proper position or proper place. doesn't mean for me to keep preaching to it and training it over and over again. And if Mike's not called to the pulpit, come on with me, this is the worst place I could put him. I've seen so many frustrated preachers because they shouldn't be here. They get up Sunday after Sunday. They're frustrated. But what do you do for a living? Right now, construction. Construction. All right. I'm about to equip him. Come up here, Bryant. Bryant's going to be our... He probably will. But right now, you're going to be the mentor, okay? Here's what we've been doing in the church for years. We see an anointing on somebody. We try to give them a position in the church. Or we try to give them position behind the pulpit. But what I need to do to really equip him is I need to position him along beside this guy right here. And let him mentor him. Because I can't. See, that's going into, are you equipping him? What are you doing? Okay. <laughs> See, that's equipping on all of the mountains. If I was going to equip Hal and Hal was still working at NASA or if Bruce was still working at NASA, I wouldn't try to equip them myself. I may teach them how to pray so that they could pray out there. But if I'm going to equip them for that mountain, then I've got to bring somebody else alongside them to equip them for that place because me being a pulpit preacher can't do that. Thank you. Same thing was true as any other realm of society. A teacher the same way. Teacher has, needs to be equipped to take their classroom for the Lord. There's such a move of God coming into the schools, it's going to be unreal. We need teachers like Bain and others who will get in there. They're, just, they're there because they're waiting for the day when those students get activated and those students begin having revival in those schools and then they'll become like conductors. Praise God. Real quickly here, another thing that she said as a pioneer. The Lord shows me that God has called you to be a pioneer in this area. 
And the Lord showed me that you're going to also pioneer and I'm going to give you a physical place once again. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you the money for this place. It's not going to be a hard thing. My anointing is on it. I'm going to breathe on it. The Lord says, I will assign marketplace leaders to you, says the Lord. And they're going to have the vision with you so you don't have it alone. I want to read you the definition of a pioneer. It's from dictionary.com. A person who is among those who first enter or settle a region, thus open it up for occupation and development by others. A pioneer is one who is first or among the earliest in any field or of inquiry, enterprise, or progress. It's also one of the group of foot soldiers detailed to make roads, dig entrenchments, etc., to advance of the main body, in advance of the main body. Powerful, powerful word there of what pioneers are. See, this nation, and I, I don't have time to finish the rest of it. This, but the, you go study this last portion because this last portion is very good. Pioneers are very important because pioneers do things that's never been done before. For years and years before Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier, nobody could break the sound barrier. Everybody was trying to break the sound barrier, but nobody could do it. And then finally, one day, Chuck Yeager went up in, an air, in a jet, and he broke the sound barrier and released that sonic boom. Once he did it, everybody else began doing it because he developed a pattern and a model for others to do it. Stand to your feet. By the way, Chuck was a test pilot up until the time he was 75 years old. To be a test pilot, you, cannot have to have, you can't have glasses. And he had eyesight good until he was 75. That's how long he was a test pilot. So don't you think for one minute that just because you're a little bit older than everybody else that you're not a pioneer. Because you are a pioneer. We need the gray hair pioneers. And the dyed hair and the no hair. We need you, Mike. We need those no hair warriors. get our pastors up here if you need prayer I want you to come on up here today pastors you come on up here